Welcome to Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. My name is Josh Lyons. I've been listening to Hardcore and Punk since 1995. I have booked shows, put out a fanzine, run a record label, and now I'm doing a podcast. This is the Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. Welcome to Episode 7, Volume 1 of the Small Business Series. I had this idea pretty much right when I started podcasting to do something like this. I was initially going to wait until the fall to do this, but with everything going on with the current pandemic, I figured now would be a great time to talk to some business owners. When I first started writing down a list of people to interview for this episode, I quickly realized it would have to be at least two volumes. It's incredible to think of how many people from our little music scene have gone on to create their own businesses. I also realized that it would be impossible for me to interview everyone who has a small business in the Rochester or Buffalo area. It would take a whole episode for me just to mention all of these businesses. I think it goes without saying that you should really try to support local small businesses whenever possible, especially after this pandemic is over. With that in mind, make sure you check out htbkicksass.com and grab one of their Bug Jar Benefit shirts. Coming up will be my interview with Jeff Ching from Owl House, but first I'm going to tell you how easy it is to create a podcast with Anchor. My first interview is with Jeff Ching from Owl House and Swillburger. Both restaurants are located in downtown Rochester, and you can find more information on them at owlhouserochester.com and theplayhouserock.com. Tell me about your, your tie into the Rochester music scene and how you grew up, uh, just for people who might not know who you are listening right now. Yeah, I grew up in the 90s and playing in lots of bad bands. I think I met you, I was playing in a ska punk band, and I met Brian Van Etten through Channel 3. So I was a Brighton kid, met the Fairport kids, kind of stayed in touch after high school i was in a pop punk band delta force 23 we were privileged to play on several hardcore bills eventually briefly played in a band with rory van Grohl and john olek in from hell and brad dingman microphone yeah so i know after that you ended up moving to the boston area for a while is that how you got started in the service industry are we already kind of doing that stuff here too or uh i did it a little bit here um like in high school i worked at don and bob's flipping burgers and then after high school, while I, before I moved to Boston, I was working as a barback uh, down on Alexander Street, which was miserable. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, I thought you worked at Don and Bob's because I, I worked at Don and Bob's for like a year and a half. And I thought we had crossed paths oh, okay. there at one point or another. Yeah. Uh, tell everybody that might not be familiar about the uh, restaurants that you own in Rochester currently. So I own a restaurant called The Owl House. We're on Marshall Street off Monroe Avenue. We do a lot of vegetarian and vegan cuisine but also uh, we do a little bit of everything and then i'm a partner at swillberger and the playhouse with brian van Etten and a, a couple other lovely people well so i know both of your restaurants reopened for a bit and then it, it seemed like they kind of closed down uh relatively soon after uh mm-hmm. what led to that decision first and foremost it was we were concerned about safety of everybody safety of our employees and our families we elected to stay open initially after pulling the staff and seeing kind of where everyone was financially who needed to work. I think that was pre the pandemic unemployment assistance, that federal $600 that came out. So there was a lot of uncertainty at the time. You know, within a few, a couple of weeks, the that federal assistance came out, uh, the pandemic was ramping up and it just seemed like the safest thing was to hunker down for a little while for everyone. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense that you guys did that. I, I work in our retail currently, so I was kind of nervous about the unemployment thing, and then I was pleasantly surprised to realize we are going to be getting the extra money. That was life-changing for people. I mean, servers, restaurant workers, and, and retail too, It's like they're not high-paying jobs generally, and when unemployment is looking like half of what you normally make, it, it's daunting. So obviously, I think it's pretty... It's pretty easy to, to guess, but how has that impacted you as a business owner having to shut down like this? It's challenging for sure. You know, the, we you don't know what next week looks like really because, you know, we don't have a lot of information. Just today, Brian and our owners were meeting to discuss what reopening Swillburger will look like. You know, we're, we're tentatively planning, but it could change tomorrow because of the the virus and what governor cuomo says so it's been really hard but you know we're getting by i mean there, i think everyone everyone is in a rough position everyone in this in the world right now so just doing what you can 
I think you kind of touched on it there, but that was my next question is, do you guys have like a set date of when you're going to reopen or is it kind of up in the air still right now? It's up in the air. So one of the good, good things is both businesses were applied for that pandemic payroll protection uh, and we got it. So that kind of covered us about eight weeks of covering some of the bills and we were able to rehire people who didn't get unemployment uh, specifically or, you know, people that needed the income. I think that's set to expire in the beginning of June. So we're tentatively going to try to reopen at least doing takeout at that point. And obviously we'll know more what phase uh, we're in with the reopening guidelines from the state. Is there anything people can do to support you guys in the meantime, or is it just kind of wait till you guys reopen and then just do the best to support you then? Yeah. I, I mean, obviously that's, that's the easiest. We are at Owl House. We are accepting gift cards online. So that's something people could do to essentially prepay for food and drink that they might buy down the road. We're trying to get our employees kind of side projects out there. So we have, we have a lot of employees who are in bands or doing different things. So we're trying to post those up on our website at Owl House and we'll be doing the same soon for Swillburger so that they could support people directly. But the restaurants, we're just kind of, again, yeah, just trying to lay low and when we open, open strong. Yeah, no, it's cool that you guys are, are are looking out for your employees too. I think a lot of a lot of businesses, obviously, especially the bigger ones, are just kind of focused on on bringing the buck in and not, you know, not keeping their employees safe. I mean, obviously, there's there's been measures taken from the bigger restaurants, but you know, I think you guys, like I said, you, I think you guys made the right call. We're a family. That's number one. We really, you know, not that other businesses don't, but I know we're we feel very personally very close with all our employees, and we've been very concerned about everybody. Right. Yeah. I actually was working in like bigger restaurants up until recently. I keep telling my girlfriend, I think I got out at the right time because I'd probably be working and, and being pretty stressed out about it right now. So I know Owl House is kind of in cram quarters. Um, do you guys have like steps planned to take when the, both the restaurants reopen to, to keep your employees and patrons safe? That's the number one dilemma at Owl House is how small of a footprint we have and what can we do to safely execute. I think under a takeout circumstance, we'd be fine. We were able to kind of have two people in the kitchen and one person in the, the front of house. But as you as you have customers come in, it, there's really no way to do it in that building. So we'd have to rely on our outdoor dining primarily to be the, if we were going to do any type of dine-in, it would be there. Swillburger, we're looking into what outdoor dining we might be able to find. If our uh, we have a neighbor who has a big parking lot directly behind us, he might be willing to let us use it in the evenings to put some picnic tables out there or something. Yeah. Cause I was thinking about that. Cause I know from going to Owl House that that place packs in pretty quick. And even if it's just for takeout, you could have like people coming and going and kind of waiting for their food. And it seems like it might be, you know, a little hectic or whatever. Yeah, we had to, when we did but, takeout, we did, uh, we ended up doing, it's like setting up a, a table outside by the sidewalk. So we would just bring the food because we found very quickly that if people came into the building, it got way too crowded with just two customers coming in. So how long do you think it'll take to return to normal, if that's even possible for your business and I guess in general? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, it won't be fast, I don't think. I'm hopeful that by the end of the year, we'll see some normalcy as long as it's safe. But I, I really think this is going to be long lasting. I, you know, it's going to it's really changing how we all operate socially and what kind of the what things we think about, what things we prioritize when we go out to eat or go out to be with friends. So, you know, it, there's, <laughs> I don't know that I have a date, but it might be, uh, it might be a long time if ever, if ever it goes back to normal. I think this is a, a, a pretty big wake up call for all of us to kind of, you know, get everything in order. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's, that's pretty much it for what, the questions I had. Is there anything else you wanted to mention that we didn't touch on or anything like that? No, I, I mean, I appreciate you doing this and, uh, enjoy following your Instagram page. I'm glad you glad you got on. The next interview is with Rory Van Grohl from Ugly Duck Coffee. Ugly Duck Coffee is located in downtown Rochester on Charlotte Street, right off of Union Street. More information can be found at UglyDuckCoffee.com. Tell everyone your background and how you tie into the music scene. I would say skateboarding kicked everything off for me, uh, I mean, in the mid-90s, um, as like a trans city kid transplant to the suburbs. Um, and that was my gateway into like 
uh, not alternative culture because I was into that a little bit before I moved out there, but like it, uh, skateboarding allowed access to that. Um, so like early on, it was like, you know, city kid watched MTV and, and saw some like videos, you know, raging his machine and videos like that, uh, Pearl jam, Nirvana. And that just led me into like, uh, skateboarding and punk music. So that's when I got more into, you know, like your normal fare, uh, minor threat. And then into like Pennywise, more like that fat records epitaph stuff originally. Um, but then our friend, my friend, Mike, his older sister, uh, was into some of the more regional local bands. And then we got into that. We fell into that and then fell into other people that were involved with that, like Dave and Greg Walsh. And then, you know, uh, they introduced us to, you know, tons of bands of, of that time, you know, like 108 and everything of that genre and that's when i started going to shows more in the 96 97 98 uh era and started bands along the way and i guess for those who aren't familiar just name a couple of the the bands you've been in (laughs) over the years i'm sure most people know who you are but just in case Uh, yeah yeah so um first band i guess the first band was like the connecting band for me it was like uh it was called long shot we were really terrible. Uh, we were your normal high school band of trying to do everything, trying to be a hardcore band, trying to be like a Scott punk band, trying to, you know, loved Pennywise, loved Rancid, uh, loved H2O and, and uh, these other bands. So like we tried to do that high school salad of bands. So, um, but that's where we, I connected with uh, people that led on to the other bands. So uh, my good friend, Brian, um, you know, we, we started a band called Stand Fast right after that, uh, along with our other friend, Mike. Um, and then that evolved. So, you know, like, uh, and Stand Fast was 1998 to 2002. Uh, and that was like, uh, basically us through like later years in high school to college. And then we were like, okay, like then we called it quits. And then after that was no notable stuff was a band called How We Are uh that lasted a few years um achilles that's still around um as long as we're friends we're just gonna create and and be a band um and then you know i moved to rhode island for a few years and and joined a band called soul control uh and this is super brief so uh and then i was in a band called witness for a few years after uh stand fast and then uh uh, currently is Achilles in this band called coming down. Uh, and we play sparingly. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much the, the quick gist of that. Yeah, no, I think we'll, I think we'll dive a little deeper into your musical history and the local scene in, in a couple episodes down the road. Um, but for now, I guess sticking to the small business topic of this episode. Um, yeah, I remember a conversation you and I had around 10 years ago where you told me you, you had gotten pretty into the world of coffee. Uh, how did this become a passion of yours? Uh, you know, it's really interesting. So when I was in Rhode Island, I, uh, you know, I dove in to just working in wherever I could get a job when I moved there. And uh, towards the end of it, I uh, had a roommate and his name was Devlin. <clears throat> and he was a coffee roaster. And I just fell in love with the nerd aspect, but also like the community and the traceability of coffee. Um, so, you know, like the actual aspect of wanting to do better with a product and having some sort of traceability factor really like resonated with me as well as uh, the community around it um, and what coffee does, it brings people together, uh, much like hardcore and punk bands. And, and uh, if you followed any of my bands ever, uh, I love, hardcore and punk music but like i'm a huge fan of the community and bringing people together and and that vehicle is important and uh respecting that process and that chain that's huge to me and that's how i fell in love with coffee and then everything that came along with that the service aspect and the fact that it can be such a quality drink um and 
can be taken seriously. Like I, I just dove into it. I got a job where Devlin was working. Um, and then I was like, that was, I was all in. I was, you know, late two thousands is when I, yeah, jumped into that and, uh, you know, game over. (laughs) Uh Yeah. I think funny and funny enough, funny enough with that, uh, Todd Mackey, the singer from with honor actually gave me my first coffee job. He worked at, I interviewed with him and he, he, uh, hired me. Wow. That's, that's a small world. actually, uh, I've been running a lot lately and they're, they're one of the bands that's on my running playlist. So I still listen to them, uh, semi-frequently, I guess right. you could say. Um, but that is a, that is a funny coincidence. Um, <laughs> so how long did you end up eating a barista for before you ended up opening up uh, your own coffee shop? Uh, so when I, when I got hired at New Harvest in Rhode Island, I, uh, it was all production. So I did deliveries, uh, bagging coffee. So the totally side of things you never see, unglamorous side of things. Uh, then when I moved back to Rochester, it was about five years that I worked on the bar at Joe Bean. I, I, uh, that's where I cut my teeth on like learning everything I could um, from the making coffee service side of coffee. What I wanted the identity of of Ugly Duck Coffee to be, uh, I really just, you know, dove head head first and tried to really understand what I wanted uh, and took advantage of every opportunity I could to to learn more. Um, As while I was also working at the Owl House, which uh, our friend Jeff uh, opened up. So um, I just, I just tried to, take advantage of learning on the job and just being uh, as adventurous and in it as I could by just learning everything I could and picking apart questions and, and just really um, just like you would like a, a, any kind of craft, you just dive head first after you fall in love with it. And that's what I did. And still do, which is crazy. Yeah, I think you and I are very similar where we like the DIY approach and, like you said, the community approach. And I think we're both, when we get into a hobby, we both get pretty passionate about it. I was like, yeah, I mean, I don't, I never expected, you know, I I was like, I want to start a coffee shop. And I never really, a lot of people say those things um, without giving too much thought about, like, what that means. And I did the same thing. kind of foolishly but uh took it seriously enough to really keep prodding and keep figuring out what that meant um and and still trying to do that even from like a a leadership standpoint now which is which is crazy especially everything going on right now (laughs) right yeah which we'll obviously get into that in a minute um so if i'm not mistaken you had a couple other locations before you moved into your current location um tell us about tell us about the path that brought you there yeah, so we started out as like a a mobile pop-up bar. So we, <clears throat> well, yeah, we start, so we actually initiated the business um, in that way. But before that, we had our retail space that we rented out. Unfortunately, it f- totally fell through before we even opened up doors. So nine months of, of dealing with something else that never came to fruition was frustrating and exhausting. But uh, as soon as we handed in the keys for that old space. Uh, we just, I just was like, we're doing a mobile bar. We're doing events and we're just going to connect with the community and, and partner up with people and serve coffee within their spaces. And we did that for about a year until we landed at, uh, 89 Charlotte street, uh, downtown right now, uh, which is the old little bakery and, uh, 1975 art, um, gallery. So, and we landed here, and so we'll, it'll be four years this month, May, um, having our doors open here, and five years as a business total in June. And then um, we did have a retail location at the Kodak Center um, on the west side, uh, which I was a big fan of. I thought it was a great opportunity to do something really cool and unique, uh, but I, I grew up like a, you know, a stone's throw from that space. So that was really uh, a big passion project for me. So uh, um, unfortunately it didn't work out. So we actually closed our involvement with that. Um, 
in the at the end of 2019. Wow, I didn't I didn't realize you grew up in this neighborhood. I, I think I told you that's that's where I live now. Uh, my girlfriend yeah. got a house here. Uh, I mean, we actually been in the house for like 10 years, but we officially owned it uh, like five or six years ago. So it's interesting Dude, it's that awesome. we have that that connection too. Yeah, it's a nice neighborhood. It's it's you know it's not what I expected. I, I always thought it'd be a little rougher, but it's it's pretty quiet over here. Oh, dude, there's um, so, like, uh, just like the city, there's so many, there's, obviously there's, pe- pe- bad people are bad people wh- wherever you live, um, but I have, you know, I love that area. The houses over there are awesome. They're unlike any other neighborhood in the in the city, so it's pretty rad. Yeah, definitely. Um, <clears throat> so how much of an honor was it for you to win Best Local Barista when you won that award? Uh, you know, it's it's cool. Uh, I I, that was never, you know, it's never my intention to have accolades like that, but, um, it's definitely humbling that people see me in that light and to really, um, allow me to serve them and and see me as doing something really great. And I take this seriously. Uh, I love serving coffee and I love making people happy. Um, so I, I'm, I'm stoked to be awarded that. Um, but it's not something I put out there for everyone to like vote for me. I don't like really campaign, I guess, if you will, to, to win those things. I just show up every day and do the thing that I love doing. Right. Yeah. You never really seem like somebody who was into like popularity contests or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's you more know. of, you know, it's more about like, and I, I guess it's like more of the genuine factor. Like I feel great about winning it and I just want people to know that like, that's not the, that's not the goal the goal is just to really make people feel good and 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 to be successful by like welcoming people into our shop and and making people realize like that coffee is a co- coffee is a drink and a beverage and something that like we can be stoked on and it's a vehicle for so much more right no exactly and uh speaking of which uh just in case anyone's listening isn't familiar uh describe all the stuff that's on your menu that you guys offer currently serve Oh yeah. So it's like, we're, we're a coffee shop, uh, definitely coffee forward. You know, we get your standard, like people sometimes feel like oh, the world that we're in, we're a specialty coffee shop. It's, uh, intimidating because this, the menu seems small, but, uh, it's, you know, everything from your espresso, cappuccino, lattes, uh, things of that nature. And then we also do like seasonal specialty drinks, um, things, that you know we can add like bitters to or maple syrup or things to elevate uh coffee and or drinks um and we serve happy earth tea which is a local tea company uh try to partner with as many local uh folks as possible we also serve uh baked goods so we use flower city bread company um they do croissants uh they started making vegan croissants which are awesome um and then black cat baking company which is a longtime friend of mine uh, started a bakery uh, and uh, he's doing like a ton of uh, baked goods for us, which is awesome. Uh, Scones, uh, morning buns, a bunch of like uh, cinnamon buns. This dude, John Olick, which, you know, he was in Stanfast as well, which is pretty cool. Um, And then we connect with the Red Fern, which is a vegan restaurant uh, in town and we serve some of their products. Um, and Scratch Bake Shop, which is another friend of ours that serve some of their sweets. So, you know, light, fair, and then coffee, you know, like brewed coffee, pour over coffee. Uh, and we're a multi-roaster. And what that essentially means is that we don't roast coffee, but we serve coffee from around the country and or regionally or locally. Um, and kind of like a craft beer store, like a tap and mallet if you're local. So like a beer bar that doesn't brew their own beer, but serves a ton of beer from around the country. We're the same, we're same idea, but a coffee shop. Yeah. That's what I was going to bring up too. When you and I had initially talked about you being so passionate about coffee, we, we were discussing the similarities between like uh, craft beer and, and coffee. You know, it's, it's something I never really thought of at the time, but the way you broke it down, I was like, man, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's, it's, you know? it, that's what I love is like breaking that down and and explaining it to it to people that might not understand just like someone that plays guitar you know uh, a gibson is a gibson a gibson isn't going to be a Schecter, you know like so if you think coffee is coffee 
not every cup of coffee is the same. Not every guitar is the same. You know, not every beer is the same. So that's how I like to explain things to people is find out what their interest is and then really kind of meet them where they're at. Yeah, no, that's a good way of looking at it. Um, so I guess kind of shifting gears to current events, um, how has the current pandemic affected your business and your family? Oh, man, it's if it hasn't affected you, I want to meet that person. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as a small business owner, um, first and foremost for us was uh, keeping us safe, keeping our team safe uh, and making sure that we still had a had something to come back to. So. You know, we were steps ahead of what was going on. Um, we limited our hours before we were like legally half had to. Uh, we were doing takeout service before we were, you know, obligated to. And then, then we shut down. We just shut down for two weeks. Um, and the big reason for that was we wanted to make sure everyone was self-quarantined. And if there was any flare-ups that happened within that two-week time, and then we came back. Uh, and everyone, you know, at least felt comfortable signing up to come back to work. Um, so we wanted to give people that mental break and that emotional break, uh, to come back and work and and feel comfortable. Um, we were lucky enough to be able to pay everyone and not, not really lay anyone off, uh, during that time and, and pay for their, that two week period. Um, and we're still paying our team pre pandemic salaries, essentially. Um, and so what we're doing is we've, uh, limited our hours. So we're open Monday through Saturday right now, um, 8am to 2pm and we work in pairs. So, uh, and that limits exposure to multiple people, our doors are shut and we're only doing a walk-up window service. So, uh, so far so good. Um, it's long days, but it's, it's worth it in the grand scheme of things that we know we're taking the proper care uh, every step of the way. And we're keeping our team safe. We're keeping them employed uh, and we're keeping the doors open if for us to serve you, you know? Wow. That's great. And it's almost like you read my notes for this interview because you, you literally <laughs> just answered like my next three questions uh, in one question. Um, so I guess I remember seeing you, you were serving coffee for essential workers. Uh, how has that experience been? Dude, that's, it's amazing. Uh, people are so gracious uh, and they're doing such a great job. Um, we, yeah, we set it up that we could, we're taking in, uh, we're basically the vehicle for that. You know, we're taking orders. We're uh, connecting with people at different hospitals and different um, areas of the hospital and we're dropping it off. Uh, we're really trying to hit uh, overnight and nighttime workers because it seems like they get lost in the shuffle a little bit. And, um, everyone is, every time we show up, people are so grateful. Uh, and you can just see like, you know, you know, when someone's stressed about something like just that gratitude and it lifts them up just a little bit and they forget about whatever they're dealing with in that moment. And, uh, you know, that makes it worth it. And that, you know, being able to do that is just like a little thing where we can give back and we can really help. And, and the people are, supporting that um which is huge yeah no that's great uh my girlfriend's mom and her brother are both uh medical workers and you know my heart goes out to them and they're they're like you said that they're the true heroes right now and anytime anybody tries to tell me they're not taking this seriously i just you know tell them they should talk to people like that because those people obviously see it front lines every day and and they know what's going on you know dude absolutely like i my one of my best friends lives in queens and his you know, uh, in-laws are on the front lines, you know, they're, you know, working in the hospitals and they're working in transportation and, and it's real, like it is real and it's affecting people in a way that we have no idea because we're very lucky and we're very privileged to be in Rochester where we have space. We can go out and walk. Um, cause there's a lot of people that don't have that luxury right now. Yeah, no, definitely. We're lucky. I mean, you know, I still feel a little nervous walking around like I was telling you in the neighborhood uh, before we started the interview. Um, but it's it's nothing compared to what some people have to deal with. And, you know, I've, I'm one of the lucky people who has been, you know, furloughed and, and is receiving unemployment. So I'm, I'm really in no rush to go back to, to my job, honestly. Um, 
but at the same time, again, like I, I really feel for the people that have to, like my girlfriend's considered essential. Um, and she's, she has to work every day and she's had to deal with this since the beginning. And, you know, just the, I try to be as calming as I can when she comes home. I mean, sometimes it's hard to understand what she's going through, you know, but yeah, the, it's, um, all the, all, you know, us serving and, and working and it's being, uh, a place where people can feel some sort of normalcy is great, but also like you're interacting with people in a way that is it's, it's tiring. It can be exhausting because you're, you still want to give good service or be there for somebody and do a good job. But at the same time, there's this heightened sense of man, like you are too close to me right now, or you're uh, (laughs) you know, like there's a space thing. Like, like I mentioned, like I had to go to the grocery store and you know, some people aren't wearing masks and I'm like, I- I'm not going to say anything to you, but I am not, I am not going near you. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. I-, I did the exact same thing when I was at Wegmans a couple weeks ago. I just turned and went up the other aisle because I saw like two people that weren't wearing masks. Um, so I guess with that in mind, um, do you see a scenario in the future where things can return to normal for you and your business and for society as a whole? You know, that's a uh, really big question. And for us right now, I think the hospitality and service industry are going to be vastly different and people are going to interact within going out to eat and going out to drink in spaces so much differently. Um, There's going to be that contingent that, that wants to do that right away. Uh, But honestly, like for us, I don't feel that we're going to rip that bandaid off right away. I think we're going to really go methodically and think about what we can do to keep our team safe uh, to keep everyone safe and, and healthy. Um, and what those steps are, we don't really know just yet. Um, but I think uh, we're going to open our doors last uh, and, you know, and, and figure it out as we go, if that means installing more plexiglass in spaces and, and doing that. Um, but I don't know. I don't know what the grand scheme is going to look like. Uh, I think about going to a show or going you know, you think about going to a show like a basement show right now, if that was to happen, uh, you know, in six months, is that going to, how's that going to look like that's, that's just like a mind melter to me. Like someone who used to go to shows and like, you know, 300 square foot spaces crammed in, like that is crazy to me right now to think about that. Yeah, it's crazy. Rob, Rob and I were talking about that in our, in our recent interview and we didn't even think we didn't even approach the subject of, of going to shows in basements. Honestly, it was just even thinking about going to a show at a place like the plug jar or something, you know, it's like, even that's a pretty tight space and yeah. you know, are we going to be wearing masks at shows and it's just, it's going to be completely different, you know? And then like on top of that, like, is everyone going to even want to go to a show at that point, you know, cause people are still going to be freaked out by this, you know? So it's, it's a lot to digest still, I think. And it's, we're, we're still learning a lot about this as we go too, you know, like no one really has all the answers. I feel like, like even the people who, you know, should have all the answers. I don't think even they have all the answers yet, you know? No, we haven't, we haven't so. even seen the fallout of, of this in the long term. You know what I mean? Like we're still just trying to, everyone's just trying to figure it out. And I truly believe that a lot of the people that I'm connected with and or friends with, everyone's just trying to do the best they can. Um, and I think that's the important message is, is to really, everyone's trying to do good. Um, and, be respectful of that and be patient with people and give people courtesy. You know, that's super important during this time right now. And uh, if we can do that, then we'll get through it on the other end. Yeah, no, those are definitely uh, good, good sentiments to live by. I think right now, Uh, I think that pretty much wraps up my questions. Um, Do you have anything else to add or do you want to like put any contact info on the web for people to get a hold of you guys or anything? Oh, sure. Yeah. If you want to check out ugly duck coffee, um, we're located 89 Charlotte street uh downtown uh rochester new york um you can check us out on uglyduckcoffee.com instagram is at uglyduckcoffee along with all the other social media stuff twitter and and uh facebook um but yeah if you know come down check us out hang out uh when you can (laughs) when when we doors are back open but uh we have uh we are serving so if you want to say hello or send us a message, that'd be rad. The next interview in this series is with David Fox from Idols and Anchors Barbershop. Idols and Anchors is located at 1946 Westridge Road, right near Greasedridge Mall. More information can be found at idolsandanchors.schedulista.com.
So describe your background and how you tie into our local music scene. Uh, I mean, growing up, I was going to local shows and stuff like that. And a lot of my buddies started going. Like uh, some of my first local shows were seeing like Runoff, Day Without Rain, um, Sarek, stuff like that back in like 2004, 2005. Um, and then I just got a couple of years older and wanted to start being in a band instead of just going to shows I wanted to play at them. So me and a couple of my buddies started our first band, which was called Contender. Uh, that lasted like six months. <laughs> uh, one of the dudes moved away and then, I don't know, it was probably like a year or two later. And then we, we kind of sexually got like the core group of those people back together, except for like two of the members and, changed the name and we we're doing that for, I don't know, probably another couple more years. And then it finally switched to nightmares, which is what it is now still. But uh, that was just like a long story short of how I kind of started getting into music and stuff. Uh, switching gears to, your, to more of the business side of the interview. How did you become interested in becoming a barber in the first place? Well, I was working uh, factory jobs for years. Uh, I started at Wegmans just at the Mount Reed store after they redid that. And then I got into Johnson and Johnson because my brother was there. And uh, I don't know, I was there for so long that I just, I didn't like the band broke up for a few years and I was just like, I don't know what I want to do. I'm, I'm miserable. Like I can't keep living like this. And I'm really good friends with Chris Pogue. And I remember when he first started at a barbershop on South Ave, um, I started going there because I was sick of supercuts, sick of getting bad haircuts. Um, so I messaged him. I went and saw him. And I feel like me and him like clicked pretty well instantly. And I just like I really dug the vibe just hanging out because I mean, me and him have a lot of different interests like music wise. But I feel like we get along really well. So the conversation was always really good. And it pretty much stems from that because I don't know, I kept going to see him. And after a while, like he was, he was essentially the same thing. Like his bands fell through and he went, to, he ended up wanting to do that. And then I ended up sharing like a similar interest. And I remember talking to him about it for years before I jumped into it. Um, and he was always encouraging me to do it. And then I remember finally we were sitting in his living room one night and it was like the final conversation. And this is after sitting on the idea for like three years and he was like, you just have to pull the trigger. Like, you have to do this. Otherwise, it's never going to happen. So th that's essentially what I did. And I started going to Shirigo, uh, their barber program. That was like four and a half months. I did that five years ago. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty much it for that. I mean, it, it's been great so far. I'm really happy I did it. it. I feel like it filled the void of not playing music anymore for a while. And then luckily through cutting hair like we like the band got back together for whatever reason so it's kind of came like full circle so did you work at a lot of shops before idols and anchors or was that pretty much the, you went right there from from uh uh school um i worked at one other place it was actually a salon slash barbershop in the city called do or die um chris pogue actually found the place for me and he's like hey this place is hiring because i was cutting hair at in my parents' basement. And uh, I mean, nobody wants a ton of strangers in their house. So I don't think my parents were too keen, but I was really excited. He found the place, we went and checked it out. Um, he kind of like mentored me too, a little bit into it. Like make sure like when they say this, like make sure, like, basically to make sure like you're not getting screwed over and getting into a place that's not gonna keep you happy. And uh, so I went there, the, the girl that owns it, Katie, she was awesome. She ended up treating me really, really well. Um, I was there for the year. And then uh, my buddy, Jesse, who's also in the band now, he, uh, he was actually cutting Chris's hair for a while. And Chris was like, this dude knows your band. And I was like, oh, I was like, I don't know who that guy is. And then we actually re-met at a show. And I was like, never mind. I've seen this dude at show for years. Like, I know exactly who this dude was. And like, so we instantly clicked. Um, he let me come to his other shop, watch him cut hair, just kind of hang out when I like, I wasn't working full time at the salon after a little bit. 
Um, and then I caught wind through Chris that he was opening a new spot. So I texted him, I was like, hey, um, I heard you're opening the spot. Like, I don't know if you're interested in like bringing people in or if it's like kind of like you're only going to reach out and hire people or or I don't know what the deal is. And he immediately was like, you got a chair if you want one. So just let me know. And uh, originally, I think I think it was like, I think we opened the shop four years ago. Originally, it was supposed to open in March of 2016, and it didn't open until August. And uh, yeah, I ended up, she, she didn't know I was moving over at first, because I didn't know either, because like the date kept getting pushed. So I didn't, I didn't bring it up yet. And, uh, but I also didn't want to do the whole like, hey, by the way, I'm going to leave two days from now and kind of screw her over. Um, but she, had, she, she ended up finding out which everything worked out really well. Like she was super sweet about it. And she was like, I totally understand. And I feel like you're going to be a lot happier there. You're going to be in like more of like the barber world versus more of the salon world. Cause I was the only guy there cutting men's hair. Like they, they did men's hair too, but it was like, it was just more of a salon and uh, idols was definitely more of what I wanted to do. And like the style of shop I wanted to be in and, Jesse's obviously in, um, into like the same music as me and stuff like that. So it was like, it's easier to express myself there and be myself a little bit more. And it's just like a really good environment. And it, like, I felt like I was going to be able to grow there more and learn there every day because Jesse's been doing it for like 15 years. So he's helped me a lot in the last four since I've been there. That's really cool. Um, yeah, my buddy Brandon actually told me about both you guys a while ago, like a year ago, and he's been kind of trying to get me to go there since then. Um, you know, so we'll have to talk more about that off air, obviously. Um, I think you already kind of started talking about the shop a little bit, but is there anything else you want to add about about what you guys do at Idols and Anchors, like who, how many people you guys have there and everything? Um, we've had a couple guys leave here and there. Um, but right now we got five guys. Um, it's me and Jesse. Uh, my one buddy, Zach who I've actually been friends with for like uh, 10 years, maybe more. Um, he ended up getting into it too, kind of same thing as me. He wasn't really clicking with anything and he tried it out. And I like one of the dudes left and I immediately was like, Hey, like you're in school right now, but we have an open chair. Like I'll immediately put the idea in and it, it worked out great. Zach's been there for a year now and he loves it. And I mean, he's really easy to be around. It's sort of the other two newer dudes that uh, just joined up, I think. I want to say right before the holidays in December. Um, so we got one empty chair right now, but everything's cool. I, I It's we're in Greece on Westridge Road. And I don't know, I didn't want to leave the city at first. I was skeptical on cutting in Greece for, I don't, I don't know why I just was. And then I went over there immediately, like clicked, changed my mind. I was like, this is, this is awesome. Like we're just in a really good location. Um, we're right on a main road and stuff. And I think, uh, people just see barber and big red letters. And, but I think when they, every time they walk up, if it's their first time and they're just walking in, I think they're kind of blown away by how nice our barber shop is. Um, which is pretty cool. Like a lot of people, are like I didn't expect it to look like this, and I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah, this is it's pretty cool here. It's not like your typical barber shop. It's more like new wave. It's like industrial style, very clean. Um, I think it's cool. I, like even if I didn't work there, I would definitely get my haircut there. And if I didn't work there, I would want to work there. So <laughs> that sounds like a pretty good endorsement. How has the pandemic affected the business for you guys? Um, it's actually sucked, to be honest. Like we, I was the last one working at the barbershop. Um, we, uh, me and Jesse had a show, like as soon as when all this stuff was going on and it got canceled. And uh, basically like right then and there, like it was weird. Like everybody kind of stopped working like on the day of St. Patrick's Day Parade. And I was the only one that worked like the following week because we hadn't been told to shut down. And I was shocked that people were still booking like my, like two, we do Tuesday to Saturday and my set, my Tuesday was booked. I had like, 
16, 17 haircuts. And I'm like, what's going on? I'm like, I thought this is like supposed to be a pandemic. Like p- places are getting cut half capacity. You're not like immediately social distance. Like, I was like, I don't know why this is happening. This is wild. But I ended up canceling half of that day and going home early. Um, I don't know, for whatever reason, I felt like we weren't told to close yet, but I still felt like I was like breaking the rules. So like, I felt like super bad canceling, but I couldn't just not show up. So I like, I, I took like half of my day, tried to move them like a couple other people to other days. So like I'd come in the next day and only do like three to five haircuts, leave same, same. And then, uh, Cuomo finally said that barbershops have to close. Um, I think a few of my customers were pretty pissed because they were on my schedule, but I like, I apologized to them and I was like, there's nothing I can really do about this. If if I could help, I would, but like, this sucks for all of us. Um, But I mean, I was lucky enough to get on unemployment. It was actually a nightmare to like get through. Like I called 117 times in one day and I got none, like nobody. (laughs) It was crazy. And it took me like a month and a half to hear anything back from unemployment. So that sucked. I I was like diving into my savings to pay the bills and stuff. And uh, me and my girlfriend were getting ready to move. It was, it, it definitely sucked. It was super stressful. And I mean, it still is too, because I mean, you want to be there for your customers. You're constantly getting messages asking, Hey, when are you guys open? You're like, I don't know. I mean, luckily now we know we're phase two, but we don't know when it's going to start. Um, but I mean, at, at, at first it was, it was kind of nice to have like a little break because we don't really, none of us really take vacations because it's kind of hard. Um, cause I feel like this, like the barber industry is like really demanding when you get to be at a certain point when you're busy in your career, which is super awesome. And I'm really grateful, but it gets super stressful sometimes because so many people start depending on you, like whether they get their haircut weekly, every two weeks at the same day, same time, like they count on you to be there. And like, and now we've been closed, I think for two months, I I think today, what's today's date? It was yesterday. Yeah. We've been closed for two months since yesterday. And, uh, it's definitely been stressful. I, uh, I'm, Definitely looking forward to get back to work and just being able to hang out with my friends, see my customers, stuff like that. So I, I'm I'm definitely excited that we got somewhat of an answer to when we can go back. I'm I'm guessing that since you're getting unemployment, the answer will be no to this question. But um, uh, my girlfriend was telling me that, that her coworkers barbers are doing house calls. Is that something you've done at all, or are you kind of just waiting things out till you guys reopen? Um, I'm waiting things out to be honest. Um, my girlfriend has a compromised immune system, so we've been trying to not see friends kind of at all, like here and there, like we've hung out with some friends, but like, I, I've absolutely refused to do all haircuts and like, I've been pretty cool about it. I haven't been like rude to anybody like, Oh, how could you ask during this time? I'm just like, unfortunately I'm not doing them right now. Um, hopefully we can open soon. That's kind of my generic answer to things. Um, I know a lot of people want house calls, which is kind of crazy to me because it's just like, you don't know if I'm sick. Why do you, like, you want me to come into your house and, like, potentially get all of you sick? Like, <laughs> it's it's just crazy to me that people get almost desperate for a haircut that they're like, dude, I'll I'll pay you extra or just, just come over. And it's like, we're in a pandemic right now. Like, you shouldn't want me in your house. I don't think there's a set date for phase two yet. So you guys are basically just waiting till they announce phase two and then you're just going to like reopen pretty much right after. Or? Uh, honestly, I'm not fully sure. I know um, Jesse was telling me that um, they were kind of trying to figure out like certain guidelines that we absolutely have to follow. Like obviously these aren't laws and you won't get like arrested and stuff, but you want to be as clean and as safe as possible and, Barbershops are already really clean. That's one of the main things that they teach you when you're in school and when you have to focus on your boards. Um, you just have to you have to have everything super clean all the time anyways. Um, 
Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if we're going to open immediately. Like if tomorrow um, Cuomo would be like June 1st, phase two starts, I'm not sure if we would open right away. Uh, we might just because so many people have been like constantly asking us, when are you opening? Like I need a haircut, stuff like that. And um, so I, I'm not fully sure yet. It's, it's kind of just like up in the air, I guess. Um, I mean, at most, like if like, I don't know, say like opening day was a Saturday or like something like that. We might wait until the following Tuesday so we could get a full week booked out instead of a chaos of one day booked and then the weekend or something like that. So I'm not fully sure yet. Um, do you see a scenario in the future where your shop as well as society can return to normal? I feel like it's I feel like it's 50 50. I feel like either. Things are going to go smooth and. We're going to hit all the phases and it will be a really good progression and that could be it. Or I feel like this is really going to change things for at least a year, maybe two. Like, I mean, all these concerts are canceled uh, or postponed. I mean, I know they're predicting a spike, I think, in the fall again, which kind of sucks because, I mean, who knows? I mean, everything will get closed right back down again and we'll be back to square one, which I hope it doesn't happen. But I feel like it could go either like either way. And I think that uh, a positive to it, they're going to wash their hands more, <laughs> which will be good. Uh, but, yeah, I I hope that things will just go back to normal by like mid to end of summer. And like you can hang out with your buddies and feel like guilt free. You can go to a bar and have a drink or your favorite restaurant or catch a local show or something like that. I know like the really big shows and stuff aren't going to probably be able to happen until maybe next summer. I know like Rage Against the Machine postponed until next summer. Um, uh, Slipknot just canceled their entire summer tour. Uh, I think Green Day did too, which is, was like a stadium tour, which is wild. Um, so yeah, I honestly I feel bad for like the really big musicians that have to they don't even know if they're going to play because I mean like they're they're so busy all the time that they can't reschedule it like So I don't know. I don't know, man. I I hope I hope good things happen and things go back to normal um for everybody. Like for all businesses and stuff like that, whether you cut hair, your real estate, whatever or especially venues too. Um, we just did that shirt with a bunch of other bands for the bug jar to support them and stuff like that. And basically it has all of our names on the back of it, like tour dates, which was pretty cool. Um, I hope, I hope none of the venues have to close. That would be, that would suck pretty bad. I'd feel really bad for them. Yeah, that would really suck. Especially if you consider like, I know we live in like a small town, but like a lot of our venues are like, like longtime staples, you know, like I've, I've been going to shows for like a little over 20 years, like close to 25 and the bug jar has been around the entire time, you know, like yeah. I had a band uh, in the mid nineties like we played like the first ever, like all ages show there, you know, it's so like, I, I have pretty fond memories of that place, obviously. Um, but yeah, there's a real, real big question mark to see what's going to happen with places like that. But, you know, got to just kind of hope for the best. And I think the magic word that everybody's looking for now is vaccine. So hopefully, uh, you know, they can come up with something like that in the future. We'll see what happens, obviously. Yeah, I, uh, I'm I'm really interested to see how things will progress because I know it's somewhat like the flu. Obviously, it spreads a little bit quicker and whatever else. But, I mean, like, we have the flu shot and stuff like that. I wonder if this is going to be, like, a forever thing. Like, the flu is never going to go away. I mean, there's different strands of it. But I'm curious if it's going to continue like that or – if it's like as soon as the vaccine happens and people that have it, it's just like eventually ends up just being gone for good. I'm, I'm curious to see what happens with that. Yeah, it's a lot of uncharted territory. I mean, we could go down a, a pretty big rabbit hole, obviously, talking about stuff like that, because there's, there's obviously people that probably won't want to get vaccinated. So, yeah. you know, we'll just have to kind of wait and see and see what happens. Um, so I guess give everyone give everyone the shop's contact info as well as like any website or social media addresses in case they want to check you guys out after this. OK, um, let's see. The shop phone number, it is 585-360-4041. And then our Instagram is Idols and Acres Barbershop. Just one long word, 
on Instagram and then same as well on Facebook. Um, we have a Twitter, but we don't ever use it. Um, and then uh, people book online through Schedulista, which is idlesandacres.com. And when you do book, um, there's pictures of all of us that work there and all of our names. And when you click our names, it just brings up every single time uh, for 30 minute increments of every day that we're open. Super easy. Um, and it just asks for like your phone number and I think your email, and then you get notifications right from the website to remind you when your appointment is, stuff like that. Walk-ins are obviously welcome as well too. Not sure how that's gonna work with what's going on right now. Uh, I'm, we haven't been told that we aren't allowed to do those, but I'm probably gonna assume it'll be appointment only for a little while, but yeah. The next interview is with John Olick from Black Cat Baking Company. Black Cat Baking is located in downtown Rochester, New York. More information can be found at blackcatbakingroc.com. Describe your background and your connection to the Rochester music scene. Oh, well. Well, that goes back a ways. And I think a lot of those early shows were the same shows you were at. Actually, like Bob Barker and the Womanizer shows. What else? What else? A lot of despair shows, show to con. That was with Wade. He used to drive me everywhere. So we usually went to go to all those shows. But then separately, I, uh, I met Rory at summer camp. And so I used to hang out with all the Fairport guys because I'm from there too. So <clears throat> used to go like go to Brian Vinnett's basement and watch Channel 3 practice or something when we weren't skateboarding. I had been in a metal band that didn't do anything. Like we played half a Metallica song <laughs> once a week. Like... So, you know, like those were other Fairport guys. One of them was uh, a guy named Mike Gullo, who was in Stand Fast in the beginning. And um, I remember he, one time at a park in Fairport, he was just like, like they had been a band for a month. And he was like, hey, um, be in my band. I said, okay, sure. <laughs> like what's, because uh, I guess Anthony wasn't working out, I guess. So I missed the first two shows of that band. And then I was in the band for the rest of the time. Yeah, who else was in it? Rao. Brian Rao was in the band at the time, and he was uh, Wade's next-door neighbor. Yeah, I want to try and do a Stanfast deep dive this summer at some point. I was, I was talking to Rory and, and Brian about it. I mean, the podcast, usually I cover more like, like 95, 2004, like hardcore and stuff, but I, I thought this would be a cool thing to do to change it up a little bit with the small businesses. But yeah, those, it was a really fun era. And for anybody listening, don't look up Bob Barker on the Womanizers because you won't find anything online, luckily. <laughs> um, it was a fun time, but not anything that was worth putting on recording, put it that way. It was a fun day. Yeah, that... A grown man punched you in the face on my 17th birthday. Oh, yeah, you were at that, huh? The bowling alley incident. The bowling yeah, alley. We still yeah. talk about that. Yeah. That I'm, was... I'm uh, still, probably, still probably banned from that place. <laughs> I, well, I think it's changed hands a few times. <laughs> oh, has it? It's that's like that's a... just a running joke I like to make. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was um, messed up. Yeah. Yeah, my, yeah, I remember getting the when I got home, he'd already called my mom to apologize because he was worried that I was going to call the cops or whatever. And, and the first thing she said when I walk in the door, knowing my personality, she was like, "What did you do? What did you do this time?" Oh, exactly. You know, totally. But yeah, that's that's another story <laughs> that'll probably stay off air for the most part. Yeah, um, that's, that's no good. <laughs> yeah, but, wild. Times. But I guess, but I guess switching gears from the music scene, how did you first get interested in baking and working with food in general? I've kind of always done it. I always thought it was fun, like when I was a kid. Uh, my mom's family is Sicilian, and I, I think that means that everyone by law is supposed to make like 75 pounds of Christmas cookies a year in the family. So <laughs> like, so from when I was like seven, I, I was helping with that and thought it was awesome because I got to eat cookies and cookie dough and stuff. But um, I don't know, for some reason, I always thought it was fun. I remember Cub Scouts, we did a play and it involved a chef, and I was like, oh, I have to be the chef because that's going to be awesome. So I like... I was always making cookies at home and baking and that was fun. And I think I've had a ton of jobs. Uh, I think only six out of my 27 jobs have not involved food. <laughs> and um, ever, uh, a number of other people I knew had become, you know, like real regular chefs in nice restaurants. And I thought, well, everybody's doing that. I'll go to pastry school because I, I have more fun with that anyway. So I went to pastry school in Chicago. So yeah, kind of going down that path. Um, what experience did you have with bakeries before you opened up Black Cat? 
I guess my first job was kind of like that, making pretzels at the mall. I mean, we made them from scratch mostly. So, you know, that was still like baking. But then there wasn't anything until, I guess until I, was it? I guess when I lived in Chicago, I was like, I was waiting tables and uh, about to turn 30. And it's like, this sucks. Like waiting tables sucks. Almost all my jobs were back of the house cooking and stuff and then i had to wait tables and that was a challenge for me we just get headaches all the time trying to pretend to be nice to people who are really not very nice a number of other people i knew had become you know like real regular chefs in nice restaurants and i thought well everybody's doing that i'll go to pastry school because i i have more fun with that anyway so i went to pastry school in chicago uh, the French pastry school, which I actually chose because it was the the shortest program because I think we were going to move back to Boston pretty soon that year. So it was like six months and that was really, really incredible experience. And, you know, I met like, I met like Pierre Hermé and all kinds of like world famous chefs briefly, but I met them and then uh, moved back to Boston and I started working at a, a place called Clear Flower Bread, which is a pretty ver very well-respected bread bakery and pastries. I worked in the pastry kitchen. I mean, we would use, I think we used over 3,000 pounds of flour a week. <laughs> Just like, wow. Yeah, cranking out tons of loaves of bread and pastries and croissants. And I eventually kind of became in charge of like croissant, uh, all the croissants and everything and like making the schedule for that. And then some of the people I used to work with there opened a donut shop and I left to go work at the donut shop, which is actually really hard, <laughs> a lot harder than we, we thought it would be more fun than being hard. And it was just super hard. Like, I think we were making 12,000 donuts a week by hand. Wow. That's crazy. Oh yeah. It was like nine straight hours of, of frying a day. Sundays we'd, we'd sell like a little over 2000 donuts. We'd sell out before 1230 in the afternoon. Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot of donuts. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, and um, somewhere in there, uh, my partner was pregnant. We were going to have well, our only child. It's like everything was just too much, and I got—I think I was being a jerk to everybody a lot, and uh, got fired. And then I started making ice cream. I got, an, which was an awesome job, also in Boston. Although that was only brief because we were already planning to move back here with the baby and everything. So moved back here and then uh, Rory was just about to start doing his coffee thing. And I did a couple pop-ups at uh, Owl House where they were like, hey, make donuts. And I'm like, I can't, I can't handle the donuts. <laughs> I did it a couple of times. And I'm like, I really don't want it. That's, that can't be my life anymore. <laughs> yeah, and then I just slowly started Black Cat. And now it's, it's a little more regular. Were you guys planning on moving back here just to raise the child, or, or were you kind of in the back of your mind planning on coming back here to start a business too? The original idea was because we we're going to raise the baby and uh, we could afford a house here, <laughs> most likely, and that was never going to happen in Boston. And then it was, you know, and then I started thinking before we moved back. I'm like, well, that's the place where I can start a business. You know, I already know a lot of people, and you know, I I know how things work there. <laughs> Just like kind of just through doing this channel of interviews, I'm like, wow, so many people that I grew up with and was involved in the scene with now like have like taken the DIY aspect and taken it and done it their own way, you know? Did that have any sort of impact on you, like coming up in hardcore and DIY and stuff? Or was it more just kind of like you already knew the business end from running and working in businesses? Oh, no, I, th I think it was totally, it was totally punk rock and hardcore and DIY because I still kind of don't know what I'm doing. But <laughs> I'm like, well, <laughs> but I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to figure that one out on my own too. So I guess as a wholesale bakery, does your business primarily come from local businesses or is it a mixture of like people ordering themselves too? I'm starting to get a little more of people ordering themselves, which I encourage. That's great. It's mostly local businesses. It, really right now, it's just Rory, <laughs> <laughs> which is all it was in the beginning too. But since the, uh, I know we're going to get to the pandemic, but that kind of got rid of some of my customers for the time being. Yeah, I think it's affected a lot of people. But just real quick before we touch on that, just give everybody an idea of like what kind of stuff you offer like for people that haven't heard of your bakery before, like what kind of stuff you bake. Oh, yeah, I do. I primarily specialize in breakfast pastries. So, you know, croissants and flaky things like that, cinnamon rolls. I can do vegan or not vegan. 
I do a lot of vegan stuff for Rory because he's vegan and that's what he likes. But I'm perfectly capable to do it not vegan. That's what I'm trained in. Yeah, stuff like that. I can still make donuts. I preferably not do it for an order. <laughs> <laughs> stuff like that. I'm I'm working on expanding things and offering more stuff when I can. So yeah, I guess shifting gears to the pandemic, how how has that affected your business? I think you were kind of referencing that. Yeah, I was. I had just gotten um, one or two new clients, and then like a week later, it was like, oh, I guess they're gone. <laughs> they don't need anything anymore, and who knows if they'll open again. Yeah, and then I had another probably equal size client to Rory, and they're just they're doing their thing right now, whatever they can, but they don't need fresh, you know, pastries or anything because they don't have people coming in buying anything, but. It was exciting for you know Rory to sh shift gears and do this, do what he's doing now, because then that also gives me a lot of business. And man, people are hungry now. I think I'm busier now with Rory than I was ever before. Yeah, no, people are definitely hungry. Um, <laughs> totally. Every time we drive by like any any restaurant or any drive through, it's all the takeout lines are just so packed and everything. So, you know, I don't think people are really that turned off to get takeout right now. So yeah, right. that's got to be good for you, I guess. Are there any safety measures you've had to implement during all this? Or are you kind of keeping it the way you were doing it before? I'm, I'm a little more careful, but I was already because it's just me. So I don't have to worry about, you know, other what other people are doing or anything like that. And I built the bakery in my basement. So like I'm just at my house. Everything is already. I was already kind of doing all this stuff anyway, and I'm just making sure that I stick to it. Do you see a scenario in the future where your business and, and society as a whole can return to the way things were before? Or do you think we're going to be kind of like uh, <laughs> on, a different, on a different plane now? Uh, I don't think it's going to be just like it was before. I think that may take a long, long time because there's, I mean, there's so much to it. And, you know, I think maybe more people are just aware to how something like that can spread so easily. And be, you know, maybe we'll be a little more cautious. What is your contact information for the bakery and like any kind of like, like a internet presence for people who might be interested in checking it out? Well, I have a website. I don't even know if it shows up on Google. Um, it's it's a uh, Black Hat Baking Rock R O C dot com, and um, there's a menu on there, and you can you can order from the from an order form on there if you want special orders. And um, other than that, Instagram is the big one is also black hat baking rock you know there's the the obligatory facebook page that nobody goes on <laughs> so yeah instagram is the big one there's a way to email me from there and that's that's really the best way to get a hold of me that wraps up volume one of the small business series thanks to everyone for taking part in this volume two will be available real soon you can also expect to hear a conversation with rochester hardcore historian greg benoit shortly Thanks to everyone for checking out this episode, and as always, thanks to my family for all the support. See everyone real soon, and stay safe.